Hey, and welcome to another edition of the Rugby Report Card. Yes, it is the report card for rugby, not cricket report card this week. Just want to make that abundantly clear at the beginning. Uh, thankfully, with me this week is Blake. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. And I won't press you on the cricket because we've got a guest this week. Um, but otherwise, I would be going hard at 2-0. <laughs> All right. Just start, get it out of the way. Um yeah, you know, we're very fortunate to have uh, Dylan Jack here this week uh, with us this week. We sacked off Jim. We've got a much better high-quality member of, of the trio this week. Um, so thanks for joining us today, Dylan. Hey, thanks thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, watching the Ashes as a neutral, I don't know quite who I've wanted to support. One of you, uh, Australia, England. Um, <laughs> it's oh. like pick your poison kind of thing for a South African. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, actually. Um, but just for our audience, tell us a little bit about you. What do you what what do you do for a living? Um, uh, where did your passion for rugby started from? Tell us about you. So yeah, I mean, I've always had an interest of sport coming from my parents. They've always also been interested in sport and all of that sort of stuff. So I mean, I currently work at um, a publication called SA Rugby Magazine. Um, we're based down in Cape Town in South Africa. Um, uh, right over there, um, I cover all sorts of rugby, right from right down from schools rugby up to university rugby to um, franchise rugby, club rugby, and then all the way up to now the Springboks. We're busy getting our teeth stuck into, which is really exciting. You know, that's, uh, that's, I love the fact that you, you've covered such a cross-section, a wide uh, range of different, um, um, obviously, teams. It must, it must be quite exciting to see a kid, you know, from the schoolboys potentially progress all the way through the systems to see that lineage uh, all the way through. It must be quite cool to see that happen. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, you watch these sort of kids grow up and go from playing sort of first team rugby, go through, they start playing, you see them play for their clubs in South Africa, and then suddenly they're making, all of a sudden, making their Springbok debut, which kind of makes you feel old sometimes as you <laughs> watch these kids suddenly go into the Springboks. <laughs> can, can I ask? Because um, I think, I mean, most people listening probably came for us to rip into the test match on the weekend, the sides and predictions and things like that. But on the on the schoolboy thing, from um, as an Aussie looking at the South African schools, you just see things on social occasionally, whether it's an epic crowd or a huge atmosphere um, I guess two questions. Is it that good? Like, is it as good as, like, the fact that you're covering it and people are interested in reading that? Um, we, we don't have that over here. There's there's very little press um, on our schoolboy football. So is it as good as it might look, but we just get the snippets? And then um, and then two, why? Why is it so special? Well, I mean, it, it's absolutely massive. I mean, some of these schools are... They literally develop their rugby facilities to become sort of rugby academies. They almost set up like that. Not that they um, neglect the other side, the academic side of it, of course, but I mean, these sides literally have proper high performance centers, proper um, conditioning coaches, assistant coaches that focus on all sort of facets of play. They don't just have one coach. I mean, when you talk about the bigger schools that you've probably heard of, a Gray College in Bloemfontein, um, those mm-hmm. sorts of schools. Um, these schools are literally set up to get the best out of these players. Um, so it is it is literally that massive um, in South Africa. There's derbies that draw crowds, more crowds than provincial games. So uh, it is absolutely huge in this country. Uh, that could be more jealous. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> just that, um, that, that sounds amazing. You know, that, that sense of community gathering and sense of even tribalism, even between schools sounds, sounds awesome. And, 
I know, no, 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 Blake said we'll get on to the test we do, but I think just an opportune moment to talk about the URC. You know, is the, is the tribalism or the, the interest building? Because obviously you've left Super Rugby and um, for obviously the reasons which we've talked about before on the podcast, but like, has, has it been a good thing? I'd like of you, you know, obviously the Storm has lost this year in the final, but um, do you think it's been great for South African rugby as a whole in terms of the product, um, the actual development of players? Has it been good? Oh, yeah, it, it, it did take a while to bed in with the guys because obviously um, everyone was used to Super Rugby and seeing the Crusaders come over, the Hurricanes come over, um, and uh, especially when the, well, the interest in the local derbies was still high and it's always going to be, mm. um, it took a little bit of a while, of a while for people here to um, get used to the teams from the Northern Hemisphere instead because obviously we don't have that history with the um, likes of the Ospreys or Munts, even though these are historic clubs and have huge histories. I mean, we're not used to playing against them. So it did take yeah. in that first season. It took a little bit of while to build that rivalry. But you can, you could certainly sense in this um, second season that the sort of that they, that it's starting to build. I mean, we could start seeing something with the Stormers and Munster, for example, because Munster mm. came over here, beat the Stormers during the round robin phase, came back and beat them again at Cape yeah. Town um, in the final. So there's something actually building there in terms of a rivalry between the two teams um, because Stormers built a very, very good home record before that and suddenly Munster beat them back-to-back, -back, you know, sort of thing. So it's um, it's certainly started to get a lot of interest. I mean, in that final, um, it's the fullest I've seen um, Cape Town Stadium. It, it, I think it was around about 50,000, if not more, um, in that stadium. It was literally sold out. I mean, I remember sitting in the second half looking right up towards the upper tiers of the um, stadium and there were people sitting right up there, um, probably couldn't see a single thing from where they were <laughs> sitting, but they were still sitting there. You know, it was worth getting in there for the atmosphere, I guess. And it was just it was just awesome to see that suddenly there is actual interest in this um, league. Obviously, depending on how the teams are going, because obviously if a team is struggling, like the Lions have been, there's, there's not as much interest. It's obviously mm. dependent on how your team's going. Does yeah. the time zone sell? Um, yeah, it does. It definitely does. Um, it's a little bit trickier with the, obviously... Get when um, South African teams are playing over there, I'm not too sure what the numbers are in terms of broadcast numbers back here. When South African teams are playing at a 9 p.m. kickoff, um, this uh, South African time, 9 p.m. kickoff, when they're playing over in the UK, um, that might be a little bit trickier to sell. But I mean, in terms of the local games, yeah, yeah there's lots of interest. Yeah, it does help. It, it really does help. But also, I mean, there has been a bit of a tricky thing in terms of travel. Um, because the, the whole selling point of the URC was that um, it, it would be easier for our teams to travel over there, to travel to the UK compared to traveling to Australia or New Zealand. Um, and But that's been a bit trickier in terms of, because they've struck up this deal with um, Qatar, Qatar Airways, so they've obviously have to go via Doha, which means a much longer travel than if you're going straight over. Um, that's so that's been a tricky thing too. But it's had to be done in terms of, a, in terms of saving our teams money. Um, yeah. that, that's been the big part of it. What do you reckon about its impact on play is going to be? Because there, you know, there's a, a, a hope over here that um, you know you guys might be a bit big, a bit slow, um, a bit set piecey. That Southern Hemisphere rugby, you've you've left it behind, and we might be able to catch you, catch you on the hop. Is there any anxiety there, or is the or is there the opposite that it's been more physical and Super Rugby's dropped a notch and and you're going to blast us away? Um, do you think it's impacted? the way South Africa will play, um, yeah, and how so? 
Yeah, it is quite interesting. It's going to be interesting to see that longer term. Um, obviously, we've only been in there for two seasons, but um, playing in, and especially now that we've joined the um, Champions Cup, the Challenge Cup, it's going to be interesting mm. to see how that impacts the development of our players, going, of the new generation that's going to be coming in going forward. I mean, it's, that's that's really where it's going to take an impact. Um, I think in terms of, in terms of the impact on the Springboks currently, I, I don't know if it's going to have a huge impact because we still get the sort of running stuff in our local derbies very much. When you watch the Stormers and the Bulls play and the um, Bulls lines, for example, you still see that open sort of super rugby style of play that, that super rugby has come to be known by. But then we sort of also get the sort of when we go over to the UK and play on those fields, those heavier fields, um, our teams still get the exposure of playing that sort of more test match kicking game um, sort of atmosphere where you have to adapt to wetter conditions, heavier fields, that sort of a thing. Now, uh, we've um, be a good opportunity moment to talk about the Springboks. Let's be honest, Dylan. You don't really think the Wallabies are any good, are you? You're sending your best 15 players down in New Zealand. You just put it in a second-rate team. There's no respect for the Wallabies, is there? Can I give the caveat there that generally we beat you? Yeah. <laughs> no, for everyone else, but generally we, we give the Bockies a pretty good run. Yeah, but it, it is interesting how they're going. Because they, the thing is, is they did this in 2019 as well. So it's going to be very interesting to see the team that Ninoba puts out um, tomorrow. Uh, it's The talk is that it's going to be sort of a big mixture. They're going to have like a... Um, the thing is, is that in terms of the Springboks, a second string side, it's still a very good side that the Springboks will put on. You have, if Damien Delendi is not going to play, then you have Andre Esterhazen, who's been ripping it up in the Premiership. Um, how Tarlequins won a Premiership title a couple of seasons ago. Um, you still have, even though he hasn't really um, brought that sort of, um, what you call it, performance up to the uh, test level, he, he, you've still got him as a backup number 12. And then you've got Kirtley Orens and Kanan Moody at potentially as wings. I mean, Kirtley Orens, I think, last year scored seven tries and seven tests or something ridiculous like that um, in the debut test season. So it's, so it's it's still a good side, you know. Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. It is. It's a fantastic side, but that's that, that's it's not as fun. To, to I want to point, no. I want to wind, I want to wind Blake up a little bit here. But talking about that, that what that that mocky team. There's a there's a few question marks. Like I'll be honest, since obviously leaving the Super Rugby, um, I've dropped the ball a little bit, pun intended, in regards to the the, the South African team. So. Tell me about some of the, the the players that we should be there. Obviously, Pollard, who's injured, Khaleesi, who's injured. Are we looking at uh, Marnie Leboc or are we looking at Vilemsa to play 10? Yeah, who, we... who, who should Aussie fans watch? Who's, who's your 10? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, that's actually going to be a fun one because if you, you could end up having uh, Marnie Leboc, I think, against Quade Cooper. Imagine that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Two very, very uh, exciting players. Tens, I think. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> His footwork, Marnie Leboc, is incredible. And if they play Vilemsa, you know, he's been playing 10 for the Stormers. But what a what a complete opposite perception I have a South African, you know, kick to the corner, set piece. And Leboc is such a, um, an amazing maverick type player. I'm excited to see if that's the way that they go. And do you think that will be the way that they go? Yeah, I do think so. I think that's definitely, I mean, the thing is, is that Pollard's currently out injured. Phillips is probably going to be on the plane going to New Zealand. So um, you've, that only leaves uh, either Mani Lubak or Alton Yankees. And the Springboks have said, listen, Alton is uh, fourth choice at the moment. So that leaves Mani Lubak naturally as the 
um, number 10 that's going to play against the Wallabies, and that's going to be really, really exciting. I mean, he hasn't made a test start yet. Let's see how he goes as a starting number 10. I mean, his performances in the UK were all off the bench, and he was very, very good. Genuinely, I know it was, you say, oh, it's just Italy, but he was genuinely good against the, Italy. They beat the Wallabies. of the ball. His, oh, all yeah, right. that's very true as well. <laughs> <laughs> but Joe's distribution the of the ball is brilliant. Fantastic. Give us a um give us a Bocky perspective on on the Wallabies because um you know an, an objective cynical view over here is things are pretty fucking grim. Uh, yeah. but the optimist Australian is all right, we've got a lot of young players, we've got a lot of big boppers, we're recruiting some leagueies, we've got the World Cup in 2027, we've got Eddie back, maybe something's cooking here. Um What's it like from a South African perspective? Are we a joke? Are we seventh, eighth in the world, or are we a legitimate, you know, top four contender? I think South Africans are more scared of the fact that the Wallabies have got Eddie Jones back and what he's potentially capable of doing with a young team that's very, very underrated. Um, that a, a young team that no one expects any anything from. You know, um, he's shown he's capable of doing sort of emergency jobs in the past and doing very well with those. Um, so, I mean, if you look at the first two years that he had at England, he did quite well taking over a team that was very much on a low point after what after what happened in, the Stuart, in Stuart Lancaster's last year. Um, so, I mean, he, he can do it. He can turn a team around. I think we probably South Africans are more wary of what um, Eddie Jones could do with this team rather than the actual quality of the team itself because we don't really we, – we haven't really rated um, – Australian team's performances in Super Rugby that highly. I mean, Brumby's got through to the semifinals, I think. But other than that, we we didn't we weren't really wary of what um, the Australian clubs could do. Um, so I, I think it's more of a fear of Eddie Jones rather than any sort of and maybe the overseas-based uh, Wallabies rather than um, any of the local lads that you have there. Yeah, thinking Karevi, Korobedi, Skelton. Yeah. Skelton, those kinds of guys, Arnold, those guys that are in the squad, Cooper sort of thing. Those guys are, we're probably more wary of those guys than um, the guys that are currently playing in Australia. Where's the, uh, where's the, um, how do you think the battle of the forwards is going to go? Because obviously uh, we don't know the pack that either team are going to play pick. Obviously we don't know. Um, but I think it will be really interesting to see the makeup with that. As I say, Khaleesi not playing, whether that's Quagga yeah. Smith coming in, Marco Van Standen coming in, or uh, the back row. There's a Australia have a, a plethora of uh, fantastic back rowers, but there's a question mark about who plays six. Um, and again, the difference, the more athletic, maybe second rows of Australia as opposed to the uh, more bigger, powerful ones of the South Africans. How do you see that battle of the of the of the, the two packs um, panning out? This is where it's going to get interesting, I think, because the South African pack, from what I hear, it's not going to be one that's played a lot of tests together before. So um, that's that's really going to be interesting to see how quickly they could join. Maybe there's an opportunity there for the um, Wallabies to take advantage, is that this is a pack that could, could potentially take a good 20, 30 minutes to find their feet um, together playing as a unit, because, I mean, you could potentially have a... Um, RG Snayman playing his first test since 2019. Um, you could, and he hasn't played with um, some of these combinations before. Mm. Um, so it's that that where I think could be an opportunity for the Wallabies to exploit if they can really get off to a quick start. Maybe there's a chance there. Um, and again, I mean, from what I'm seeing, they could have a Dwayne Vermeulen at a number eight or mm. something like that. Um, not necessarily what he 
was in, he's a different kind of player compared to what he was in um, 2019 or 2018. So it's good that um, there might be an opportunity for the Wallabies to field perhaps a more athletic pack. Mm. The, the feeling you think in Australia with Eddie, the subtext, I mean, the podcast will probably come out when the teams come out, but it, the feeling yeah. is Eddie's going to go for a monster pack. Yeah. We're, we're talking Arnold. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. In a row, six will probably be Holloway or Leota, Valentini at eight. Um, and then, you know, up front, I think it would probably be Tupo and Bell if they were fit, but it'll probably be Slipper and Aotoa. Um, Ulisi on the bench, you know, big, big boppers um, rather than the that, – that's the feeling here. Um, I don't know. that That's different for Australia. Um, you know, a pack weighing over 950. We've, yeah, we've tended, tend, tend to spend send little packs over there. Is there any concern for South Africa there or is that just playing into your Yeah, head? I mean, if, I think opinions could change on the Wallabies when um, we see that starting team that um, you guys are going to put out. I think it could make South Africans a lot more wary once the team is announced because if Eddie does name a monster pack with like a skeleton or something like that, then suddenly you start to get a little bit nervous about what the Wallabies could actually bring if they've got a monster pack. Because let's be honest here is that you're not going to get around the Springboks challenge. You're not going to get around this pack. The only way to beat it is to beat it up. You have to front up to it. You have to face it. You're not going to um, get around it with um, speed or anything like that. You, you literally have to front up and face them. And mm. you have to beat them at their own game. That's the only way you're going to beat the Springboks. Yeah, because that's that that's the feeling, the subtext of it. I mean, we haven't seen anything yet, but it sounds like he doesn't want to play possession rugby. No. He's, he's picking Quaid to kick. He's picking yeah. Nick White to box kick, and he'll probably pick Reese Hodge at fifteen to kick long. Um, that's then, exactly the way you want to do it. Actually, that's exactly the way you want to do it. Is um, if you look at the fact that um, Springboks have generally struggled against Wales. Um, that's because Wales aren't afraid of embracing their own weaknesses. They're not a team that's going to beat the Springboks with fancy rugby. They just they're, they're just so dogged and so committed to the um, not playing rugby in their own half and not really playing much rugby at all and forcing the Springboks to play rugby that we generally struggle to beat Wales. Yeah, that's, that, that's yeah. I, I agree with that point, but England have tried many times mm. to to do mm. what you've just said: play without True. the board, try and. And you have an incredible record against England, as South Africa this yeah. is. So yeah. I, I think uh, there's a point. You've got to win the contact point and you've got to win it up yeah. front, but you have to try and go wide. Because if you if you try and stay too narrow and try and pick the corners, yeah. you're just going to lose. So it's got to be that, that yeah. the Wallabies have got to have a balanced attack and not just be really one-dimensional. And they've got to have a great yeah. chase. But one of the questions I do want to ask, you talked about um, obviously players and connections and um, the cohesion and stuff like that. There's only obviously three rounds of the rugby championship. Then you've only got three rounds before the start of the World Cup, before which is a huge first game. Are you concerned about the chopping and changing and the lack of combinations um, leading into into the World Cup, or because they're such a good players that it's not really a bother for you? I think what helps the Springboks is that this is very much a similar squad. The 33 man squad that they're going to be taking to France is likely going to be very, very similar to the one they took to Japan. Um, it's there's it going to be very much the same combinations that you're going to have seen playing in that World Cup final um, in Yokohama, for example. Um, you're still going to have a Mapimpi. You're still going to probably have a Colby if he's fit. Still going to have a Billy happened. LaRue. All of those guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, that, that kind of helps. Um, 
But the, the one worry for the Springboks is that because of that year that we had robbed by COVID, we've kind of had to, the Springboks have kind of had to cut down their preparation time and sort of force all the experimentation into probably what you would have done over two years mm. into a couple of months um, because of what happened in 2020. Um, so they haven't had as much time to experiment and, but we've still, I mean, Springboks have still managed to get quite a few debutants out there. We still managed to find a sort of a Kirtley or a Kanan out there um, that have adapted quite well to test rugby. But again, it's, that's probably the more of the concern is that a lot of the preparation that would have been done over the process of 2020, 2021, and maybe a bit of 2022 has had to sort of been forced, forced into a few months because of what happened. Mm. Yeah, it's true. It'd be interesting to see, as I say, uh, uh, what it looks like. But you're right, the, the continuity uh, between the squad over a, a period of time is is only going to help that. And obviously, I think you've been in, in training for three weeks already, which is going to help as well. Uh, but what a success for South Africa as we before we start this this uh, three rounds of the rugby championship. What is success? Is it purely just winning? Um, is it growing a, a squad or building combinations? Uh, what is success for this rugby championship? Well, the one thing is that we do, Springboks don't seem to win the rugby championship other than in a rugby in other than a World Cup. Yeah, the last time we Springboks won it was in 2019. So this is probably the best chance we're gonna have to of um sneaking pipping the All Blacks to a rugby championship title. But yeah, um apart from that, you're probably hoping to get a bit more exposure to some of the fringe players, a guy like that could be vital in the World Cup, a guy like Amani Lubbock, giving him mm. enough time as a starting ten. To, to really get used to the systems and everything, um, mm -hmm. that, that's going to be really, really important because depth is going to, because when you look at that pool that we're in, um, Romania aside, I, I mean, even Tonga really sort of getting all these all blacks back and everything, it's, it's going to be a really, really, it goes without saying that it's a tough pool. So I think it's depth is going to be, there aren't going to be games to rest players necessarily in that pool. So you're going to have to have a huge squad for that. Yeah, you're definitely on the wrong side of the draw, unfortunately, um, yeah. or, or fortunately from both Blake and I's perspective, <laughs> let's be totally honest with you. Uh, but no, it should be a good, like, and we're excited about the rugby championship, but just, are you excited as much as like, is this still, you know, is this just a stepping stone towards the, the World Cup or is there, is there excitement building in the country yeah, about? South Africa is this, I guess, is there a historic sense of rivalry with Australia or is it just a game of footy? And then with you guys leaving Super Rugby, is it even more watered down? You know, are we just a Wales now? Or is there, I, I'm genuinely interested there because I think, you know, the Tri-Nations, then the Rugby Championship, it, it was never the same as Australia versus New Zealand or Australia versus England for us. Um, they're, they're always the, the big two. But, but there was something there that I must admit, it feels like it's been a little bit lost in the last few years. Is there a sense of rivalry in South Africa for the Aussies? Is there a buzz around this game? Or is it, as Richard said, is it is it tryouts for the World Cup and you, you expect to win regardless? And if you could well, compare the Wallabies to Wales, that would really please me. <laughs> in all honesty, they have become a little bit of a Wales to us, given the chaos <laughs> that's gone around. We, we, yeah. we just kind of, too, often uh, with South African fans, just kind of see the chaos around um, super rugby and that sort of a thing. And we 
the sort of chaos around the Wallabies getting in Dave Rennie and then just sort of saying, okay, enough of that project, let's go back to Eddie Jones sort of a thing. So you sort of get, when you start seeing those sort of headlines and everything, you start regarding Australia as a bit, bit of a lesser team than they used to be. Um, but it's also very weird because there is definitely a buzz for Test Rugby to, um, I don't know if it's just because Test Rugby is back, I don't know if it's Springboks back, um, getting back in action finally after such a long period of club rugby of URC rugby that people are really, really hungry to see international rugby back. Um, but I mean, I think Loftus is sold out, so that's a huge thing. Um, but again, I don't know, I don't know necessarily if that's uh, more to do with the, any sort of rivalry with the, with the Wallabies. They did obviously give us a hard time um, when we went over there for when the rugby championship was based over there a couple of years ago. Um, and we found yeah. it quite difficult to beat you guys, <laughs> including, I think it was a 30-17 walloping um, a couple of years ago. So, I mean, we're going to have to get one back over the wallabies this um, this weekend. Biggest and what one. is your tip for the weekend? Pardon? What is your tip for the weekend? Um, yeah, I, I think the Springboks will. I think Springboks after t- might have a sort of 20, 30 minutes of playing a bit of barbars rugby, getting used to each other. <laughs> and then once they sort of find their feet in the test match, I think they'll, they'll beat the Wallabies. I think Eddie will have a plan. Look, Eddie's going to have a plan. He's going to be out there to make things difficult for the Springboks in some sort of way. We always expect Eddie to have some sort of um, secret ace up the sleeve sort of thing that he's planning. Um, but I think the Springboks should be good enough to win this one. So come on, Dylan, put your money, ask for a tip, put your money, where, metaphorical money, gamble sensibly aware. How many of the the, uh, the South Africans going to win by? Come on, what do you reckon? By uh, seven? Spring, by... Springboks by 12 in the end, I think. Oh, Springboks by 12. by 12. They're not that close, mm-hmm. really, then. No. <laughs> oh. They'll run away with it in the second half, I think. I think that's it. You've got to count um, altitude as well, playing at Loftus Fast playing at altitude. Wallabies haven't won there since the 1960s, is it? Um, so, yeah, you know, um, Springboks by 12, I think. Yeah, look, it, it's hard to argue against that. I mean, <laughs> common sense tells you that, doesn't it? I, I think I'll just take comfort in it's very hard to, to tip at the start of an international season. No one knows much about exactly. anything. So yeah. let's hope that in the chaos, Eddie has stumbled upon some incredible combination um, and the Wallabies show up and and, and make it a dogfight. But mm. um, it's it's hard to disagree with that objectively. I think uh, our backs are truly against the wall here. You know what? Sometimes just I think that's us when Australia played to their best, when they're the underdogs, when nobody gives them any uh, any chance that they come out and, and, and play really well. So you never know. Um, I think if we're all, you know, put on well, a... I think the, the risk for Eddie... Sorry, I was going to say, I think the risk for Eddie is um, there's a lot of momentum. There's a bit of excitement back in this country around rugby union, a bit, not heaps, um, that he's actually generated a bit of buzz. And he goes 0-2 the next two weeks. All of that is undone. Mm. Uh, the South African one could maybe be forgiven, with the travel, first game, the Bokies, world champions. But then it's pretty hard to come home in seven days and play Argentina. Um, I think it'll be a bit of an ambush game. Um, And I think a lot of the Eddie Jones myth, a lot of the goodwill, a lot of the excitement will quickly dissipate and we'll remember how much he sucked at England and knives will come out. So I think it's a a really important two weeks for Eddie's Wallaby. 
Wallabies to, to build whatever is going in terms of excitement and media. Um, it's, it's a really important start of the season for the Wallabies. I, I don't think they can stumble into it. That's my read anyway. I think uh, both of us just finally are, are just super excited about the, the rugby championship because I think we, we got a bit fatigued by the, the super rugby um, by the end. Um, just to the state of Australian rugby. Teams every week. So I think uh, uh, we'll adjust the, the increase in intensity. Um, the only thing that obviously is frustrating is for us, it's a one o'clock in the morning kickoff, but thankfully we'll catch the the, the highlights, whatever. But um, yeah, excited to see what happens over the next few weeks and really appreciate you coming on, Dylan, to have, us, have a chat and give us a South African insight. Um, for uh, To be honest with you, as I say, since obviously leaving, probably uh, don't know as much about the South African team, so I really appreciate your, your insight. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure. I'm really looking forward. I'm heading up there from, obviously, I'm in Cape Town, but we're heading up on Thursday to go and catch the test match. So we'll see how it all goes. It's going to be a really interesting Well, the uh, Wallabies win, we'll get you on next week. <laughs> um, if the if the Bockies win, well, you're more than welcome to come on as well, Dylan. No, not a problem. We can sort that out for you. Yeah, um, cool, cool. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Right.